Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And we are your killer couple critiquing and arguing over horror films like a couple of weirdos at the bar. So maybe we never quite enlighten you. Maybe we never blow your mind. Maybe we never give birth to marsupial werewolf babies (laughs) on air. (laughs) But hopefully you just have a good time listening. So today we are wrapping up our horror threequel discussion with the... Ultimate classic, the ultimate werewolf <laughs> classic, uh, Howling 3, the marsupials. <laughs> Obviously, I'm joking, but look, once again, I'm just going to point out, I put on the poll werewolves, it's my birthday month, <laughs> you all voted for threequels, so now you have to suffer through Howling 3, <laughs> because I was making damn sure we were going to talk about werewolves this month. <laughs> no suffering. Howling 3 is fine. Hey, I like Howling 3. Many people do not, though. And we'll we'll get into all the whys of both sides. But <laughs> I might have found uh, my hill to die on. Maybe. Uh, but anyways, this is a film from 1987. It was directed by Philip Mora, who grew up in Australia where the film is set. Uh, he actually started making 8mm films around the time he was 12, as many directors that we end up talking about on this podcast do. Uh, He actually moved to London uh, when he was in his 20s, I think, to get involved in art and filmmaking. His film, Mad Dog Morgan, uh, which starred Dennis Hopper, was actually the first Australian-made film to get a wide American release. Uh, So he's actually responsible for quite a few firsts, which is, he's a pretty interesting guy. Uh, And he went on to do the film The Beast Within after that, which was his first Hollywood job, and he basically got it by (laughs) describing the script to the producers as steak tartare, and they thought he was fancy enough (laughs) to make a classy (laughs) horror film out of this script where the first page of that script is a grasshopper, a giant grasshopper raping a woman. So, (laughs) Which is not quite the movie, but is basically in the movie. Um, You know, The Beast Within is interesting, and I'm only discussing this because we're talking about Howling 3. Uh, The Beast Within is kind of this interesting movie where it often gets confused for a werewolf film because it has a lot of similarities, uh, but it is not officially a werewolf film. Instead, it's more like a transforming into a monster bug kind of weird i honestly it's almost indescribable but the thing that (laughs) but the thing that's fun about beast within is you know this this film was actually made before the howling and american werewolf in london it came out after them though i think but it was made before them and so you know the effects using that film technically even though it came out after those movies technically that movie was kind of pioneering a lot of the effects that we saw in American Werewolf in London and the Howling, you know, kind of using like those 
sort of expanding bladder effects, uh, that particularly that you see in the howling in this film. Mm-hmm. He did howling two after that, and you know basically he ended up taking that job uh, because he needed a job, and as he <laughs> describes it, his wife needed a car, <laughs> and so yeah. he 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 was very opposed to doing sequels because he doesn't like the idea of just retreading what's been done before. And you can see that in Howling 2, because Howling 2 has almost nothing to do with the first <laughs> film and is completely different in tone and style. You know? And that's all intentional. It has nothing to do with the book. It has nothing to do with the film, really, except for a couple of returning characters and the wonderful Christopher Lee, which makes that movie worth watching on its own, not to mention Sybil Danning. But anyway, you know, so he did this film and he, he decided to do it very different and very goofy kind of with the idea that he didn't really think anyone would ever see it. (laughs) And then, of course, it ended up actually being a very popular movie. You know, a lot of people don't think it's a good movie, but it was very popular. And so, of course, it made money, and then the studio wanted to do Howling 3, and he agreed to do that, which leads us to this discussion. (laughs) (laughs) Which leads us to a sillier movie. (laughs) Which leads us to an even sillier film, and we'll get into why that is in a moment. But the film was written by Philip Mora based on the book Howling 3 by Gary Bradner, which, fun fact, I actually share a birthday with Gary Bradner. We're both born on May 31st, so yay for that, uh, which I discovered today. But Bradner wrote the Howling book series that the films are based on. He was actually really excited to work with Mora on both part two and three. Uh, again, which neither have anything to do with the book really either. Uh, the, the Howling three book is very dissimilar uh, from this. It does not involve marsupial werewolves. <gasps> that was something that Mora wanted to do being mm. from Australia and just being like, I'm going to make this film Australian as fuck. So we're going to have amazing. So we're gonna have marsupial werewolves. But yeah, the, the Howling three novel, I I've never actually read it myself, but I do know that it has it. They're, they're not great books, but <laughs> okay. they're, but it does involve uh, werewolf experimentation in that. So that's a little bit in Howling 3 as well, the film. Uh, but Bradner, yeah, he he did the Howling books. And he, he was excited to work with Moro because Joe Dante basically pretty much dismissed his book uh, for the first film. And there's actually a really good story that I won't get into details here. But there's a story where Dante was screening the film and kind of talked about the script changes and how he kind of didn't really respect the original story oh. and all that kind of stuff. And and Bradner happened to actually be in the audience and they had a little little Tiff. back and little back and forth <laughs> during the questioning process. Um but but so he was excited to work with Mora because Mora actually was excited to work with him mm-hmm. and they collaborated a lot with ideas in the, both of these movies. But uh and Bradner also wrote the film Cameron's Closet, which I recommend checking out if you like a good creepy monster in the closet movie. That one's actually pretty decent. And the film stars Imogen and Nestle as Jerboa. She was an Australian actress who didn't have a lot of things I really wanted to note outside of some TV appearances, but she does show up briefly in Queen of the Damned, which I thought was fun. Lee Violos as Donnie, who's probably best known for this role, uh, <laughs> and now produces documentaries. He's produced a few of them. Uh, Barry Otto as Beckmeyer, an Australian actor who... Uh, also went on to do a lot of television. And then Dagmar Blahova as Olga, who was born in the Czech Republic, actually. So, and and interesting about her is, you know, she had done some serious Zek films before this. Like, she's a serious actress. Mm-hmm. But as you see in Howling 3 with her, she 
she gets her freak on and <laughs> I think she's great and, and gets pretty goofy in this movie. No, she is. And, you know, like the there there are a few moments where she just gets like really creepy and snarly and uh-huh. does all this weird shit with her face. And, yeah. And, and according to Mora, that was her suggestion to kind of help save on the budget for effects because this movie only costs a million dollars. You know, so like I'm not surprised. So they, there. So they I'm were, surprised it costs that much. Yeah. Well. Well. <laughs> Well, no, you shouldn't be surprised it costs that much because they're trying. It's a very ambitious movie, so they're mm-hmm. trying to do a lot. So that's why not everything looks amazing, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, they're trying to pack all this in. And I, I would say the movie actually looks really good for just a million bucks. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that was something that she offered to kind of help cut corners. <laughs> instead, she was like, "Yeah, I'll just look fucking weird instead of <laughs> instead of having to have the werewolf makeup." Uh, and she succeeded. And she does. And for those who have never seen Howling Three. Uh, I don't blame you. <laughs> you know this is <laughs> this is not a very well respected franchise. Even though I will defend it to death, I love the Howling series, and I'll probably talk a lot about why that is through this episode. Uh, but the Howling Three again has nothing to do with the first two movies. This one is about Jerboa, who is part of this pack of marsupial werewolves who decides she hates living (laughs) with her marsupial werewolf family in particular her marsupial werewolf daddy thylo uh played by max fairchild who is not exactly kind to her (laughs) and so she runs off and ends up meeting donnie who's this uh i think an assistant director working on a film called shapeshifters part eight (laughs) (laughs) which fun fact this movie, you know, this is the third Howling film, but in total, there are eight Howling movies. <laughs> so they knew. Yeah, there's the first seven, and then there's a remake uh, called Howling Reborn, I think it is. But anyway, she meets Donnie, and he offers her a part in the movie, and then she gets all freaky-deaky werewolf on him, <laughs> gets pregnant <laughs> with this baby, and they run off, and then they're on the run from... The government and whatnot who wants to experiment and murder them. <laughs> like you do. <laughs> like you do. Uh, so we are going to be spoiling everything we can with Halloween 3. So if you have not seen it, please do go check it out. It is streaming on Tubi, so you can watch it there. Otherwise, this is not one that I would recommend <laughs> your, I your would. sweet, sweet rental dollars on. <laughs> no, no, no. This is a film where I can easily imagine a good majority of people being like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> So, and you know, we're in trying times, so I'm not going to say it's absolutely worth your $6, but I think it's a fun movie. Chris really adores it, so yep. so take that as you will. But we are going to be spoiling it, but we have our brief little bit of spoiler-free content first, so we'll let you know when we're about to get into spoilers. So, as usual, uh, our tagline versus the film, the tagline, what we think of the movie overall. So, the tagline for The Howling 3 was, The Howling Terror continues <laughs> so, what do you, so what do you think of the tagline what do you think of howling three overall can you even really consider that a tagline not really but that's what they came up with because the howling franchise has just been unceremoniously abused ever since <laughs> ever since the ever since after the first one mm-hmm. right like this this is my thing with this franchise that honestly really pisses me off because because the first Howling is great. Mm-hmm. You know, Joe Dante, uh, D. Wallace stars in it. Like, it, it's a great film. Uh, Werewolves done by Rob Boutine. They look amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's a really good movie. And, like, it's my personal favorite werewolf film. And, it, you know, it's a great film. And so it, after that, though, the the studios just honestly treated these movies like garbage. Like, the, you know, so, so the Howling 2 and Howling 3 
uh, were done by the same producers. And in both cases, they were just really cheaply made movies mm. where there was just no budget available. You know, Howling 2, Mora dealt with such issues as the fact that, you know, he tells this story about how they were waiting on the werewolf costumes. And then finally, and they were shooting in the, I think, uh, in the Iron Curtain or whatever because like to save money on budget Mm -hmm. and anyway they're waiting on this werewolf costumes and finally this truck shows up and marked on the side of it is like Planet of the Apes or something like that and basically it turned out that the producers had sent him the costumes used from Planet of the Apes what the fuck and, and he told them he's like you know these are these are monkey costumes these are not werewolves like yeah. you, I can't use these and they they their response to him was basically Oh, you're creative, Philip. You figure it out. Jesus. <laughs> and so in that movie, like I if I remember correctly, there's there's a line from Christopher Lee where he says something about werewolves have like a monkey face basically before <laughs> the actual werewolf, and that was to c- cover up for the fact for the you know, for the fact that they had all these fucking ape costumes <laughs> that they were in. So Jesus. so and then and then after uh, different producers took over in part four, which is why we go back to kind of a remake of the movie or the first one. After they took over, you know, again, just nonstop, just small budgets, not a lot of time and money put into them. And and it's just unfortunate because it's the one, like, long-running werewolf franchise out there. And it just, if <laughs> you don't, count, shit on if you don't count Underworld, and it just, like, yeah, it just, you know, it, it's not well-liked by a lot of horror fans because it's so cheap. And it's kind of one of those where, like, you really have to love werewolves and kind of dig through the rubble to <laughs> you know to to find what there is to appreciate about them uh which is what what we're going to attempt to do with Howling 3 here and hopefully you leave this you know appreciating the movie a little bit more so <laughs> I don't think that'll be hard because I think Howling 3 is a super fun movie I'm not going to say that it's a good movie this movie is kind of like a weird dumpster fire with like Looney Tunes werewolves 100% but I fucking love that what I love about this movie so much because this this is probably my favorite Howling film. The other Howling films are better made. They have better stories, better acting. Well, this is not probably your how- favorite Howling film. You just told me before the podcast, this might be your second favorite werewolf well, movie there is. It might be, but I have goldfish <laughs> brain and I can never remember anything. But it very well might be my second favorite werewolf movie because Ginger Snaps is too amazing to pass up. Fair enough. Um, but you know, <laughs> Ginger Snaps and then Howling <laughs> 3. The two pinnacles of werewolf films for I Chris. know who I am. I know who I am in my taste. And look, the thing that I love about Howling 3 is the fact that, like, it is this super kind of, like, weird, kooky movie, but, like, it's taking weird chances that I think are awesome. And look, you know, it's cool to see, like, the super scary, like, werewolf makeup like we get with a lot of other traditional werewolf movies. But for this one to go fucking Looney Tunes with the way Mm. that they look makes me love it so much more. Well, and a lot of that's intentional, you know? Like, like, obviously, you know... (laughs) I think Moro probably would have liked things to look a little bit better, you know, mm-hmm. had they had more money. But, uh, but, but the Looney Tunes element of it is intentional. You know, it's kind of funny because <laughs> you look at what this movie's about, where you have like, you know, mentions of rape and like marsupial werewolf babies <laughs> and shit like that. And yet, you know, according to Mora, like he he considered this movie a kids movie. Like he wanted to make a kids werewolf movie Aww. is how he describes it, you know, which of course lends to the PG-13 rating. And you know, I, I think because of like it, it is intentionally a werewolf comedy. Mm-hmm. It, it's supposed to be fun, it's supposed to be weird. And it, you know, I, I think he felt very 
let down by the response to the film you know because if you listen to interviews with him he he's pretty much just like i i stopped trying to understand audiences a long time ago you know because he because he basically looks at this and he says i just i I just felt like audiences don't really understand satire and horror and and i do agree with him you know i there is that's not to say that like all of us are dumbasses who don't you know get satire but but I do think that there's this misconception with horror that when you watch a horror movie, especially if you watch a horror movie as a young kid and you're kind of like discovering the genre, you have this expectation of like everything has to be scary. Mm-hmm. You know, if you watch a horror film and it's not scary, then it's a bad horror movie. And and that's just not true. Yeah. You know, and, and horror comedy especially was not a new thing like we you know horror comedy has been around for a long time uh Abbott and costello you know they they were doing stuff like that a long time before this uh but but the horror comedy was still relatively kind of new to the public you know it wasn't done very often so so when you do have a film like howling three you know i think a lot of audiences watched it and they were like this isn't scary what the hell is this this is yeah. stupid you know and and, and it's just you know tomorrow it was like no i'm i'm making fun of werewolves like (laughs) like i'm making fun of this shit you know it's supposed to be fun and funny and and so yeah i i get his frustration because you do run into a lot of audiences especially people who aren't horror fans who are just like if a horror movie's not scary they think it's crap and and that's just bullshit and it's just so unfortunate because there's so so many great horror films out there that you know aren't going to give you nightmares but are still really good movies yeah so (laughs) And, and yeah, when he was making this movie, you know, he just basically kept asking himself, how much weirder can this get? <laughs> you know, like, like every chance he could, he was trying to get as weird as possible. And, and I, and I really appreciate that. Like yeah. Howling, Howling 3 is an ambitious movie mm-hmm. when you really get down to it. I mean, well, I don't want to spoil anything, but there, there's a lot of shit in this film. If you've seen it, that is crazy. You know, yes. it's, it's absolutely bonkers. Like for like werewolf movies had not done most of the things that you see in the howling threes <laughs> and that's why i love this movie yeah it's it's a really fun movie cheaply made yep. not well acted nope. you know like it's got a lot of problems but it's a really ambitious fun film at the heart of it that just does a lot of inventive things that you hadn't seen before and so who knows you know may, maybe audiences just weren't ready for it and maybe a lot of you just weren't ready <laughs> for for the madness that is howling three before sitting down to watch it so again if you're still listening to this and you haven't revisited it in a while i, I recommend check it out again go to yeah. go to tubi watch howling three again and and maybe you'll like it more this time. Yeah, but. <laughs> get shit faced, get a high, and enjoy this movie. Walk, walk in knowing it's supposed to be a horror comedy. Yep. <laughs> maybe that'll help. But uh, but anyway, so uh, we are going to move into spoilers now. So again, if you have not seen the film, please go check it out. Stream it on Tubi. Otherwise, I have a hard time saying it's worth your rental dollars. But cr- again, I Chris and I both think it's fun. <laughs> Chris says, spend all your money on it. Buy the Blu-ray, whatever. <laughs> But anyway, so okay, moving to spoilers. Let's let's just start off with the werewolves, all right? <laughs> the marsupial werewolves, the amazing and, werewolves, and, and the lore behind them. Yep, love it so much. So I I can understand why marsupial werewolves might be a tough time for some people. I think it's so fucking brilliant, and I'm so bummed. I mean, you're probably going to correct me on this, but the thing that I love about this concept of marsupial werewolves and what Halloween 3, like, sets up is this idea that instead of it being, like, the mystic werewolf, just a generic wolf type Mm. of thing, you know, this one sets up that the werewolves evolved alongside human beings, and so that it sets up the fact that 
different continents, different areas will have vastly different werewolves based on like whatever canine species is like native to that. And I fucking love the fact that this movie, this weird fucking movie took a scientific approach to how werewolves could potentially like come about in the world. And like, that's so fucking risky and weird. And instead of like choosing the dingo, he went, you know, fuck that. I'm choosing the thylacine, this weird endangered marsupial the, carnivore. The, the Tasmanian tiger, yep. Yep. Uh, well, so really quick, I just want to say at one point they're questioning Olga on, you know, where other werewolf clans are. Mm-hmm. And of course she mentions the one in California. That's the one of reference course. to the first movie. <laughs> but she also briefly mentions China. And I just have to say, fuck, I want that Howling China movie. Right? That, that Chinese Howling movie. I need it. Um, well, she also but, mentions Africa. We could get hyenas. I know they're technically cats, but if we can have a marsupial, right? So, so you know, so th- th- this right away here is again what I adore about the Halloween franchise is you know so Mora established all the way from part two, and, and this continued through the entire franchise, unless you count four, which again is kind of a remake of part one, and <laughs> I, I could I could get into that all day, but. <laughs> But aside from that, like all of these films did something different with werewolves mm-hmm. or or they tried something different from each other at the very least, you yeah. know, uh, like there there is there is something really for everyone in the Howling franchise with werewolves. You know, like you've got werewolf murder mysteries. You've got <laughs> you've got a uh, werewolf versus a vampire movie with carnival, you know, at at the circus with carnival freaks or whatever like you've got fucking howling two with you know magical werewolf queens and like werewolf (laughs) orgies and shit like it there there is something for everyone in this franchise and and this is what i love about howling three is that you know these movies like they do they do something different with werewolf genre like you know the reason that i love the howling so much and that I always champion that over American Werewolf in London, which is another werewolf film that I, of course, adore. Mm -hmm. But the reason that I champion the howling over it is that, to me, American Werewolf in London, you know, looking past the incredible special effects transformation scene, which, yes, is the best, okay? We can Mm -hmm. all admit it. It's the fucking best. But but looking past that, it's pretty much a standard werewolf movie. You know, it doesn't doesn't really do much with the lore or anything like that and and it's pretty you know it's pretty traditional mm-hmm. and the howling in the same year basically said nah fuck that shit like you know forget <laughs> forget forget all the gothic bullshit and you know the full moon crap and whatever we're gonna have werewolves that can change at any time mm-hmm. you know we're gonna have werewolves that actually like being werewolves uh and and you know i i love that like i love that the howling just did so much to kind of change and evolve the werewolf genre and mm. and they continued that with these movies and so anyway so yeah you look at howling three and that just continues that tradition of like here's all this shit that you've never seen with werewolves before like we've got you know we got marsupial werewolves <laughs> so we got like baby werewolves crawling out of pouches and, <laughs> and crawling and, out of vaginas crawling out of vagina werewolf vaginas in the pouches right you've got you got fucking animated werewolf skeletons. You've got <laughs> you've got giant werewolf gods like uh, like Air Moon in. You know, mm-hmm. like it's that there's so much wacky shit with werewolves in this that like you can't help but at the very least be a little bit entertained by it. You yeah. know, yeah. Uh, there's so much. This 
that's the thing I do really like anytime you put on the Howling movies because with this franchise, there is so much lore. There's mm. so much more to it. And like, it's one of the things that I like about, again, about this film, if we're talking about the werewolf lore, they even are trying to set up like how these werewolves even come into being and like werewolf dating apps. Like apparently <laughs> you can just do that's weird- That's your term for it, <laughs> not theirs. <laughs> I don't care. Still happens. Like you still have this setup where like they have predestined partners and they can talk to each other and they make decisions based on what's going to be best for their families. Well, yeah, no, like you have that thing with Olga and Thilo having their like fucking psychic yep. connection. And, <laughs> and yes, I suppose that could be the early version of werewolf dating apps. Werewolf um, dating. <laughs> but no, you have all that. And, and I, and I love too, that, you know, there's kind of, <laughs> A not so subtle implication as well that werewolves are aliens in this, yes. <laughs> and, and that actually goes back to the first film. You know, it's not—it's never something that's directly said in in the movies, mm -hmm. uh, but in the first Howling, you know, something that I—why I actually really love that transformation scene, and even though I don't think the effects are better than American Werewolf in London, why I think the scene itself is better is because is partially due to the score because. You know, the the score in the howling during that scene where the transformation is happening, it's it's not like your traditional gothic horror kind of sound kind of soundtrack. It's it's more of like your sort of spooky fifties sci-fi kind of score, you know, so it has this really alien vibe to it. And then in the howling three, you know, I think uh I think Beckmeyer flat out refers to uh the werewolves as aliens at one point. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, again, pro referring more in like a continental context of like, you know, aliens to the country and mm -hmm. whatever, but, uh, but he refers to them as aliens. And then you do have the scene where, you know, after Jerboa gives birth to her fucking little pouch baby, <laughs> uh, it's resting in the pouch and it's all like glowing, glowing red and shit. And like, I don't know much about marsupials, but I'm pretty sure they don't glow like neon in their pouches. <laughs> yeah. I definitely don't think that they glow. Uh, not to mention that baby looks like a fucking alien, and then, and then on top of that too, you know, there's also uh, the the werewolf movie that Jerbo and Donnie go to see in the theater, <laughs> mm -hmm. where you know even that like feels very alien. You know, it doesn't feel well because he has boils. He has boils as he's transforming. Yeah, well, it, well, right. It just it just feels very. It has a very alien kind of vibe to it, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so I I like that. And then, anyway, you know, we could rant about all the cool things that this movie does in that regard, but. But the other thing that's interesting about the marsupial werewolves thing is that, you know, it it adds an extra element to it in the discussion of werewolves and kind of being this, you know, this hunted creature that's, you know, near extinct. Mm -hmm. uh, because that, that was a big part of what inspired the movie was that clip that you see at the beginning of the film with the Tasmanian tiger and its you know, yawning and its giant jaw giant like opens fucking up. mouth. Like, like, you know, he, he was he was very saddened by the fact that us as a human species, the the shits that we are, had had hunted the, that creature into extinction. You know, mm -hmm. you know, I I just I I'm just so opposed to hunting in mm -hmm. general, especially hunting exotic animals yeah. for the fun of it. You know, yeah. and and so that really pains me too. And you know, so so this movie's kind of a dedication to that. And it, you know, something that kind of came out of it that that was sort of intended is you know a New York times review that actually really helped sell the movie by calling it. Like if you see any, if you see one werewolf movie this year, make it the howling three, <laughs> they basically described the howling three as kind of being like the first 
for werewolf movie. Yes. Like the first like werewolf rights movie, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's true because you had had films like Teen Wolf or even the Howling where the werewolves do mostly like being werewolves. Mm-hmm. But the Howling 3 is the first werewolf film, at least that I can think of, where the werewolves are really happy being werewolves. Like, yeah. they're not... <laughs> they have their own culture. They have their own society. Like, they're perfectly happy just kind of, like, staying to the outside. And there is that really great moment between um, Beckmeyer and Olga when he's got her, like, all strapped down. He's running tests on her where, um, you know, he's kind of asking her about how they're attacking people. And Olga just kind of responds, like, you guys are killing us. You're hunting us into extinction. Of mm. course we're going to defend ourselves. Like, we don't want to be doing this, but, right. you know. Yeah, it's one of these werewolf films that, that are that's actually like, hey, you know, werewolves aren't bad. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and, I mean, you can take whatever sides you want on that. I, I kind of like the bad werewolves. I, <laughs> of course I, you do. I, I like the werewolves that are like, yeah, I'm bad, and I know it, and I love it, <laughs> <laughs> as they are in The Howling. <laughs> But no, you really get you really just get this nice sense of like the werewolf culture. And yeah, there is this emphasis on, you know, the this theme of hunting things into extinction and just kind of the way that human beings, you know, just don't really give a fuck about <laughs> about other life that they don't understand, you know. Like yeah. to them it's just sport. Yeah. And and so so no, it it, it it's it's nice kind of seeing a werewolf film do that, you know, and mm-hmm. really kind of explore that side of it of like what would actually be like to be this thing to be this thing that you're born as it's not a curse or anything like that Mm -hmm. it's just your species what would it be like to be that and have to be you know in hiding out of fear of being hunted into extinction so you know which kind of brings us to like the whole sort of hollywood element (laughs) of this you know Mm -hmm. jerboa goes off to uh, goes off and meets donnie and you know suddenly becomes a fucking actress you know like (laughs) i'm sure so many of us in the film industry wish it was that fucking easy you know, but <laughs> I like that she has the line where she meets the director for the first time, and he's just like, "Do you want to be an actress?" And he's, she's just like, "No." And he's like, "Good, you have brains." Like, right. why are you here then? Right. Well, so I mean, that's part of what's funny about this whole Hollywood theme is, you know, Mora himself was very opposed to the industry. He was very cynical of it, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and you could probably understand, oh really? You could probably understand why when I'm mentioning stories like you know, fucking Planet of the Apes costumes yeah. being delivered for Halloween too. Like he, he was very cynical of the industry and kind of thought it was a bunch of bullshit and so you know which is what i do love about the whole hollywood scene of it is that director uh jack played by frank Threen, who you know is basically like flat out a a riff on alfred hitchcock like there's no like they they don't hide it whatsoever you know and and there's even a a poster in donnie in donnie's room uh of the birds but but that, but that's part of what all of that is, is that, you know, Moro was very cynical about the industry. And so that scene right there, you know, it, it's a little bit, it's to me, it's a little bit of commentary on the fact that Hollywood's kind of full of a bunch of pretentious hypocrites, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yes. and, a bu- and a bunch of assholes, basically. Like, mm-hmm. you know, because he, cause he has that line where he's talking about, you know, how, how Andy Warhol, like, established pop as art or whatever, and... And, and, you know, he's going off about how, like, this movie is all about pop, like, their, their shapeshifters aid is all about, like, pop culture and this and this and that. And it's very high art, uh, you know, which is why in this next scene, you, you'll be raped by four <laughs> monsters, you know. So, so it's, it's, it, you're supposed to laugh because it's supposed to be like, this is fucking ridiculous, but that's Hollywood. You know, it's full of people like that. Yeah. Who, who are just like you know, oh, I'm making this high art thing. And it's like, no, you're not. You're making no. fucking Howling 3, you know? <laughs> you're not making and, shit. 
Right. And that, and that was kind of more his thing is he's like, you know, which I like about him is, you know, I sort of, I sort of feel like he maybe felt that, you know, not, not everything is this like high concept, uh, you know, a, elaborate, boring theme of like saying <laughs> something and whatever. Like sometimes you're just making a fucking fun werewolf movie, and yeah. you have to and you have to go into it and watch it that way and appreciate it for that. And I think he just felt that Hollywood was always trying to 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 look to look beyond that, or mm. to you know, which is why they're so obsessed with like elevated horror now or whatever. You know, like yeah. he like they just look so down on the genre. And to him, it's like. No, sometimes you just make a fucking entertaining werewolf movie, and that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's what I honestly really like about this film. I mean, like, I, I like the horror films that, you know, have their smarter concepts or take themselves more seriously and all that kind of stuff. But for me with Howling 3, yeah, it's very much about, like, hey, can we just enjoy horror? Can we just have, like, silly, low-budget movies that we can just enjoy? And for me, it's that scene where Donnie and Yerboa are watching the werewolf film in a werewolf movie. You mm. know, and it's silly, and, you know, the guy's transforming with the boils. And Yerboa, and it just whispers over to Donnie, like, it doesn't happen like that. And for me, it's that moment of, like, who cares, Jerboa? It's a movie. <laughs> just enjoy right. the movie. Right, and which is why, you know, the commentary to me isn't isn't directly just about people in Hollywood. It's mm -hmm. to the audience, too, you know? Yeah. To, and th these are not Moore's words, you know? This is what I'm reading into it. But to me, it just kind of reads like it's supposed to be telling you, you know, and, and maybe this was his kind of reaction, like how, you know, Howling 2 had been reviewed or whatever. You know, to me, it's just sort of a reaction, I think, to the way these things are perceived with him just being like, just have fun with mm -hmm. these movies. Like, you're not supposed to take it so seriously sometimes. You know, when you've got a fucking movie, again, with marsupial werewolf babies crawling out of some woman's crotch and in her fucking baby pouch, like, you can't you can't watch it like, hmm, this movie isn't serious enough for me. It's like, no shit. <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't watch it that way. Someone so, gets blown up with a glitter bazooka in this movie. Right, right. Like, it's totally acceptable if you don't like it, but you can't, but you can't go in expecting a high art when you've got fucking marsupial werewolf babies, you know? Yeah. I feel like I really get that with him trying to talk directly to the audience as well because we have so many shots in this movie where our actor our characters are literally talking to us at the audience they're staring at us and I don't like it because it's okay. Well, so so this is so this is where I actually will try to read into the Howling Three and, and find something <laughs> worthwhile from it. There's so uh, many worthwhile things. Th well, thematically, outside okay. outside of just the you know endangered species at element, but um, you know, so I'm basically going completely against what Mora <laughs> wants me to do here. But it's my job, damn it! It and is, I, and I will find something in everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's whether or not you are following and agreeing with me. Uh, that is debatable here, but, uh, so no, so I, I really like this element of Howling 3 as well, you know, because yeah, you're right. There's, there's a heavy emphasis on the fact that we are in fact watching a movie mm -hmm. and, and we as the audience are acknowledged constantly, you know, in, in <laughs> I ways. I don't like it. They're staring at me. <laughs> in ways that don't even make sense. You know, like there, there are a lot of moments where the cast is looking directly at the camera. That's, that's not that's not typical but but it happens in movies mm -hmm. but then you have scenes like when breckheimer is talking to uh the president played by michael pate and he looks over and like there, there is never a camera established in the scene we never see a camera <laughs> but he looks over and they both like look at us mm -hmm. and breckheimer is like 
you know, oh, why are we recording this? You know, and the president says some bullshit about, I don't even remember what the fuck he says because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And, you know, so there's a lot of like that kind of ridiculous sort of element mm -hmm. of like, we're really trying hard to be like, you're watching a movie and, and we're looking at you, the audience. And I think that part of that is that, you know, in a lot of ways, this this film sort of, maybe not subtly, but this, but it's not, you know, it's not directly talked about, but this film is sort of kind of, I think a little bit talking about how, honestly, like women are kind of taken advantage of in Hollywood or, mm -hmm. or just put under this intense amount of pressure and spotlight that... Yeah. That maybe that maybe a lot of them aren't even ready for when they first get there, you know, uh, like so you have you know because I mean even just the first scene where where Jerboa meets Donnie, the dude the dude fucking he chases cha her down. He chases her <laughs> like he chases this woman through a park, and I don't know about the rest of you. I'm not a woman, but I'm pretty sure if a dude just started chasing me in the park. I would not think it was to offer me a job and I would fucking run for my life. Yep. And she has to be terrified as he's chasing her into a fucking corner that she yep. can't escape from. You know, there's that element of it. There, There's the fact that she's lying on a bench when, when she first gets to the city and like a couple dudes approach her and they're trying to like, you know, fuck her or whatever. And she scares them away, thank God. And then there's even the scene where like she's, we see take after take of her screaming. And I kind of like that because I feel like a lot of people a lot of viewers don't really appreciate like how exhausting these roles actually are for actors mm -hmm. in particularly actresses since they're, you know, they're the ones doing all the screaming most of the time is, you know, yeah. When you're doing a scene like that, a scream like that, it's not, it's not one take of someone screaming. It's over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And it like blows your lungs out. And I, and I, and you know, you can't even talk afterwards. Mm -hmm. And so, so there's this big emphasis on, you know, I think just kind of like the, the the uh, the over attention on actresses and kind of like the draining and the and the taking advantage of these women. Yeah. You know, like to me, it's not so subtle that at the Halloween or at the rap party that they have where they're all dressed in costumes, Donnie's dressed as a fucking vampire. You know, yeah. And she's in the virginal white. And she's in virginal white. Kind of looks a little bit like a wedding dress, not quite, but you know, it mm -hmm. has that sort of vibe to it. And, and to me, it's just like, you know, it's symbolic of like Danny or Donnie kind of draining her, you know, and like just kind of he loves her, so mm -hmm. to speak. But but it's kind of like just taking advantage and kind of using her in a sense. Right. Yeah. I mean, I get that most from a scene that we get towards the end where it's kind of like they're talking about Jerboa's like movie career. Yeah. And there's a moment where she's arguing with the director on set. I don't know if it's supposed to be Donnie because he's got like the hat and the glasses and like yeah, the of porn. Yeah, it's Donnie. That, he's got a porn stash that's now. His, that's his disguise to, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> to make people not know it's him. <laughs> enough but there's this moment between the two of them where they're talking about a scene and donnie it just kind of i think begins with donnie just being like this scene needs more sex and your beau is just like what the fuck are you talking about right. this is a scene where i'm supposed to be raw and like having a breakdown and you want me to have be more sexy in this emotional scene right well that well that's why i think this is in there is yeah. because you know and we'll get to the ending in a little bit but it's like like I, I do question actually Donnie's love of her, you know, yep. and 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 it's especially because of that scene, because to me I just get this sense that like, you know, that that is directly I think sort of being like yeah to to men and and you know a, a lot of male filmmakers and everything like everything's about sex. Yes. <laughs> and and Jerboa, you know, that's not that's not her, you know, she's trying to escape that. Like mm -hmm. the whole reason 
she runs from her clan is because Thylo is basically raping her, right? Yep. And so so she's trying to get away from that, and she ends up just stumbling right into it with into Hollywood. Form, yeah. Into Hollywood, where everything is about taking advantage of her and using her and that kind of stuff. So... Yeah, I really don't like the relationships between either of the boys with the werewolves. No, they're terrible. They're <laughs> awful. <laughs> like they're pretty terrible. <laughs> and and you know, I, I mean, you know, the, it's not. I don't think they're supposed to be. I'm not really sure what Moore's intention was here, because because it is because it's perceived very romantically. You know. Yes. Like like Donnie and Jerbo are running away together. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be like, ah, oh, that's cute. You know, like. And you do kind of feel like, oh, he's a good guy because he's not yeah. hes not screaming his head off and running for his life from this fucking werewolf <laughs> and her demon werewolf baby, you know? And, and then Breckmark... And Zach seems like a good kid. Right, like, he seems like a good kid. And, and you know, and then Breckmeyer, like, he, seem, he obviously seems like a good guy. He wants to protect the werewolves. And so you kind of buy that he falls in love with o- Olga. And <laughs> then there's all these, like, romantic scenes of them and their werewolf women like making out at the sunset and stuff like that like you know so there's a lot of nice stuff there but but you do ultimately i think question it because because yeah you got the stuff with donnie as a director where it's clear that he's using jerboa like Mm -hmm. she's absolutely right i mean you know look at her and she's a good actress we apparently we see in these movies that she's doing and so it's like yeah i mean she probably is you know 50 percent, if not more of why they're successful and yeah, I, you know, personally for me, I feel like with both of these dudes, like, it's almost that situation where you have a guy who, like, falls in love with a woman because she's exotic to him. Like, mm. just because, like, you know, there is this interesting notion where I think both Donnie and Breckmeyer fall in love with their werewolf wives instantaneously. Like, Donnie, like, is driving down a fucking street, sees Jerboa, and loses his fucking shit. Literally, literally j- parks his car and jumps out and runs yeah, after her. Yeah, that car is not there anymore. It's gotten towed. Yeah. You no, know, yeah. In L.A., the, well, I mean, this is Australia, but in L.A., that shit gets towed in, like, a minute. So. Yeah, that shit's gone. And, like, on the other end, you have Breckmeyer, who, you know, I think also falls in love with Olga, like, you know, on scene or on site, which I totally understand <laughs> because I would argue Olga has one of the best prettiest werewolf transformations because well the ballet scene is very cool yeah that, that one so gets referenced cool. a lot well no i mean look with him you know that's another to me this this both of these also come in situations that are taking advantage of the women because yeah. he experiments you know, on her well well in donnie's case you know he's basically like uh, jerboa's lifeline to a job and a new life right yeah. and so so you know so in that sense he's kind of taking advantage of her and then in Breckmeyer's case, I mean, yeah, Olga's literally a fucking strapped down experiment in his ch- in his chair, right? You know, like yeah, she he almost makes out with her when she's strapped in the chair. That is not professional, <laughs> dude. And not consensual <laughs> that we know of, you know. Yep. So, so I mean, yeah, in that case, like, what the hell is you know, like Olga has to be nice to him, you know? And yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so, so you know. It, they're they're very questionable the the building of these relationships mm-hmm. and then especially the fact that Breckmeyer is basically like hey I love you to old <laughs> right after Thilo dies who she was pretty into it seemed like for a yeah. moment until he died um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it very much feels like I am you know those those scenarios almost where like you know American soldiers went overseas and came back with brides. Like, it almost feels like that situation, because, yeah, with both Olga and with um, Jerboa, the boys, the men in their lives, 
it's their only way to survive. They are reliant yeah. on these guys. And once we hit a certain point, it's no longer Jerboa and Olga's story anymore. Once we hit kind of like that midway point, it kind of becomes more about Donnie. Olga stops talking as much. She's not involved. And then well, fucking Breckmeyer gets to teach classes about werewolves. Like, fuck you, dude. <laughs> Olga should be teaching those classes at the end. Well, and there's, and there's a big emphasis, too, on it. You know, the kind of theme of, like, sex equals violence and stuff like that. Because, <laughs> I mean, even, like, you know, first of all, yeah, you've got, like, basically... There's the scene where Jerboa fucks Donnie for the first time, and then immediately- The sweaty, sweaty sex? <laughs> the sweatiest sex I've ever seen? Listen, we've been there, all right? Like, it's not- <laughs> <laughs> We have just- not. We have never been that grossly sweaty. I don't. I would disagree. There was a time when we were living in LA where it was like oh. 100 degrees in the summer and we didn't have air conditioning, all right? So, like- the- <laughs> I love the fact that you're just saying that they don't have air conditioning and that's the why, the I don't, why I don't, I don't know what Donnie's situation is. Either way, th- he needs to get fucking central air, all right? Like, that is a must <laughs> if you live in Australia or if you live in Los Angeles. And- Anyway, no, so, like, they have sex, and then, you know, immediately after, she has the whole fucking nightmare about being pregnant, you know? Yeah. And then there's also uh, the the werewolf movie that they go to see. The The guy who's transforming is in this room that is, like, randomly surrounded by just photos of nude women. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know where the hell they are that he has, like, a nurse looking after him surrounded by all these images, but... It's an but, American movie. <laughs> But it's obviously not very subtle, right? Like, there, there's this heavy sex equals violence theme. Mm-hmm. And then kind of playing against that at the same time, which, I again, I, I don't know what Moore is trying to say here, if anything. But because c- he, he says he just thought werewolf nuns would be fun. but <laughs> <laughs> And he but, was right. Right. But playing against that at the same time is, you know, also I think, like, Jerbo in a sense, is kind of escaping... Uh, religious persecution in a sense, you know, because mm-hmm. she's got these fucking trio of female werewolf assassins after her, which is such a cool concept. <laughs> and I wish we got more of them, you know. They're not in this movie nearly enough. But they're amazing uh, every time they're in there with their fucking weird Looney Tunes faces. No, they're they're great every time they're in there. I just I just wish we got to see them do more, you know, but 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 they're in there hunting her, trying to bring her back. And you know, Jerboa strikes me as like this woman who is trying to escape kind of the the religious strict restrictions of her family Mm -hmm. you know and and so it's like again it's very symbolic that these three (laughs) nuns are coming after her to take her back you know because because at the same time too i feel like there's this kind of theme on abortion maybe i'm thinking about this because we just watched alien three but uh but then there's also you know that sort of theme about that where it's you know you never really get the sense that Jerbo is necessarily forced to have this child, mm-hmm. uh, but there is kind of that element where it's like, I don't really get the sense that she would have been given the choice to not have it, you know? Yeah. And, and which is why it's kind of, you know, there's almost like a dark side to Donnie's rush to her with the child because in one way you're kind of like, oh, that's a good guy. He's not, he's yeah. not freaking out about the fact that she's pregnant in a, in another way. And maybe I'm looking at this too darkly, but in another way, it's almost kind of like he sees that baby as his property. And it's like, he kind of, you know, he, he, he suddenly decides like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go rush to her and whatever, because that baby's mine, you know? And like, I will, I wouldn't agree with you for that for the first half of the movie because, like, look, Donnie is a hot fucking mess. Like, he's crying in the ho- in the hospital because he's so worried about Jaboa. Like, mm. he's got, like, 
like girl mascara running lines, which I think is amazing. Yeah. Um, but second half of the film, Donnie, where he's like demanding weird shit on set. Yeah, I do do believe it with that, Donnie. Well, this is what I mean. I, again, like you know, there. <laughs> some of you are probably listening to this and be like, "How the fuck do you get all this out of fucking Howling Three? But because we watched but, the movie. <laughs> Well, no, everybody watches the movie. It's it's the freaks like me that watch it too intensely. But um but no, I mean, you know, there is that theme of of you know, just kind of like honestly, I think the fear of womanhood in mm-hmm. prevalent all throughout this movie. I mean, she, for God's sakes, she comes from a town called Flow. And I get it, it's wolf spelled backwards and that's supposed to be like a fun twist, but it's still a town called Flow. And you know, if you look at it to a certain degree like you know, here's this young woman uh, escaping, you know, th- this rapey yep. stepfather or father or whatever. And, you know, just just the, the, the name of their town flow where she comes from almost implies that she's a young woman who is just kind of beginning to experience this stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and here she is like this innocent girl who, as you pointed out, is pretty much always in white. She's always yep. dressed in this innocent kind of white color. And here's this girl who comes to like the most uninnocent like innocent <laughs> destroying place possible which is the film industry mm-hmm. <laughs> and and she's immediately being taken advantage of you know so i just i see all of that and that that's why i kind of prescribe the the sort of like possessiveness to donnie yeah. because i do sort of see him as like taking advantage of her and being possessive of her and you know again that stuff's never flat out in the film until the very end, but because of that end, I, you just kind of start to look at it differently the more you watch this movie, so... Yeah, I can agree with you there. Yeah, you win. You're right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, then you also have scenes, too, like, where uh, where Jaboa, you know, when she first gets kidnapped by the military officials, you know, it, it's so... To me, it's so symbolic that here's this, this young girl who's pregnant, and she's surrounded by a room full of fucking men Who put observing their fucking her finger in pouch right they're observing her and they're like you know feeling up her pouch and shit like it's it's you know not okay again i don't know that maura was going for a lot with this but it's it's really you know there's really something there like it like especially when you look at the world around us now and we look at all the things men are trying to do to control women and everything like you just really look at that scene and it 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 could be made today and you wouldn't blink an eye you know because it it feels right out of today. <laughs> yeah, there's something to be said with this film about the fact that our two werewolf ladies who should be our stars yeah. kind of have a tendency to take back seat to these two unremarkable, uninteresting, boring, basic bitch men. Oh, totally. No, yeah, D- Donnie ends up playing a huge role in the film and Beckmeyer basically becomes a star and it's like, no, I want to see more of Jabot. Yeah, <laughs> fuck these two Jabot basic Jabot and bitch. Olga are way more interesting. They're so much cooler. <laughs> Well, I, and I guess, you know, maybe that kind of gets to how werewolves are treated in this film, which, uh, you know, which, it, well, first of all, I just want to say, as we're talking about this, I'm not going to shy away from the fact that it is totally my dream to have a werewolf wife. <laughs> Sorry, I Chris, know I but... have disappointed you. <laughs> so, so as much as I'm shitting on the men for taking these werewolf wives. Matt totally, would also take a werewolf wife. Totally the dream to just live in the wilderness with a werewolf wife colony. <laughs> but no, but, you know, so, so like you said, I mean, yeah, the, the. The human characters become the main characters of the movie, which, mm-hmm. you know, I guess just kind of ties into some of the overall themes of it, which is just that, you know, these werewolves really are treated like this, you know, on the verge of extinction species that is just not treated like any sort of human, even though they are 
at the very least, half human. So. Yeah, well, I think that this is a good um, example, I think, again, of, like, colonization. And, yeah. you know, this idea of people who think that they know better or smarter coming into lands and territories that aren't theirs, you know, and wiping out the native population and stuff like that. And, like, I feel like we see that with, um, with Breckmeyer and Olga's interaction a little bit where he asks Olga who is this incredibly smart lady if she knows what a goddamn marsupial is like (laughs) bitch he she is going to fuck a marsupial because it's better for her species yes she knows what a marsupial is I mean it was the 80s I don't know how how people's knowledge on marsupials was I mean this is you know, especially, well, I, I don't know about Australia, but I mean, in America, we're fucking morons. Like, I don't know if they ever... <laughs> oh, I totally think it's fair that we want to give a moment to tell the audience, but I think it's really yeah. telling about how they're presenting how werewolves are treated by the fact that they are constantly treated like they aren't human and they're less than, even though they're on the same level. They evolved at the same time. They are human and they're smarter in a lot of ways because they've had to keep themselves safe because in this in this world, the god damn pope has condemned them right yeah the pope yeah, has decided they're satanic them as, as demons right <laughs> which i mean howling too kind of hints at them being like demons or whatever but again these movies are all very different from each other so this is you know this is where i kind of find another sort of interesting element of the movie which you know i, I kind of read a little bit of a queer theme into this because we have because you know, jerboa and olga totally should have dated each other <laughs> Um, sure. I mean, that's not what I'm getting at, <laughs> oh, but, uh, but, I'm they, getting at. but I mean, I, you know, if they, if they wanted to, then yeah, that would have been great. But, <laughs> um, no, it's the fact that, you know, just in general, human beings and society has a really hard time accepting anything that is in the slightest, uh, something that's different or not understandable to them immediately. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? And so, and so when you have these societies that are built up on, you know, bullshit traditions of like, you know, straight marriage and, and straightness and straight, mm-hmm. straight, straight bullshit, you know, like we're so, we have that so ingrained in us uh, that anything else is deemed, you know, unnatural. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to me, it's just like, you've got this story about, uh, about werewolves being hunted and it gets to the point of, you know, uh, as the, as is hinted at, which I actually think would be a really interesting movie in and of itself, the whole kind of witch burning theme where yep. like, you know, governments all over the world are hunting werewolves and and you can only imagine like how bad that would get where people would just accuse each other of being werewolves because, you know, mm-hmm. you can't necessarily prove it maybe. It's McCarthyism um, all over again. Exactly. So uh, you know, so so there's kinda there's kinda like that suggestion and and I mean it's the same sort of thing that has happened with the queer community, you know, mm-hmm. where it's like it, it is sort of like uh witch trials and hunting, you know, in that sort of Mm -hmm. regard where, you know, people are just being uh, accused and exposed and all this kind of stuff, you know, and, and I I sort of, you know, I I started to read deeper into the queer theme with it because you have all these characters that are werewolves and in a sense, their, their true self is the werewolf, right? Like that, that's who they are, Mm -hmm. um, but they're all kind of hiding it, you know, Mm -hmm. And, and some of it's in subtle ways. Like you've got Kendi played by Burnham Burnham, Interesting that he has the same first two names. Um, but you've got Kennedy played by Burnham Burnham, who, you know, when they when when the military is there and they're talking about werewolves, and I think they ask Kendi about them and he's like, Oh yeah, I hate them, they're the devil or whatever. Kennedy's a werewolf, you know. <laughs> Ken, yep. Kenny is having the cover for the fact that he's a werewolf by mm-hmm. saying that he hates them. You know, just like a lot in the queer community have probably had to do, like maybe not directly saying they hate other queers, but having mm-hmm. to 
you know, having to just like hide the fact that they are with, you know, whatever they can say to convince people otherwise. So, but yeah, and then you have the scene where the president, you know, is questioning Beckmeyer, like running off with this female werewolf and, and, and he asks, and he asks if it was female at least. And then when Sharp tells him yes, he's like, Oh well, thank God for that. At least, like, fu- fuck you, president. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. It's it's okay if Beckmeyer fucks a, a fucking werewolf, but mm. but God forbid it be a, a male werewolf. You know, yeah. like it's just th- Breckmeyer would be so lucky, right? So there's just all that kind of stuff in this where it does it does read a little bit mm. like a like a queer theme with it, where you know we're we're kind of being exposed to the fact that that people with differences are hunted like this you know i feel like your best example of that is really kind of how we end this piece with with jerboa winning the oscar award um and we've it's already been set up in in the movie that bright lights can trigger a transformation jerboa goes through it and tries to cancel it out with sex i don't i don't know if you can cancel a transformation out with sex but she tries um, How does sh- what? <laughs> well, because the first time we get introduced to the idea that werewolves can transform because of bright lights is when she's at the after party uh-huh. and she feels a transformation coming oh, on. Oh, I gotcha, yeah. gotcha. And she's like, Donnie, you gotta fuck me right now so I don't transform. Right. Well, you never know. It might have helped. <laughs> well, no, and I, I feel like that could potentially like tie in with, with your narrative of, you know, trying to hide that stuff because, you know, if she is she is queer she's not attracted to men or what have you she could be trying to fool herself by not Mm. transforming and looking at all the sexually dressed women by you know fucking her her beard sure but you know i feel like we get it even more with like the ending scene with with jerboa because hollywood has had a very nasty history with people being outed and all their stuff being put under a microscope oh for sure mark Patton's career pretty much ended after nightmare on elm street too when he was you know, put her into the spotlight for being a gay actor and, you know, essentially was forced out of the industry because of that. Like, that movie ruined him, essentially. Yeah, because, you know, when we get to that moment with Jerboa, we've hit a point where we've been told that, like, all the werewolves have been granted amnesty. Like, this Mm. shouldn't be a thing anymore. But, you know, this is still... She's forcibly being outed at this this ending scene and she can't really escape. And it's still treated as it's a not-okay thing, even though she's technically should be accepted by society. Right. Um, so I think that ties into what you're talking about. Well, no, for sure. I mean, it's, you know, that 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 whole ending is kind of like twofold, you know, because I think that it, it also ties into the whole thing with um, with with her and Donnie and kind of how their relationship is by the mm-hmm. end is that I think I think part of that theme there is supposed to be that, you know, under the spotlight we all eventually become monsters yeah. in a sense. Like, and if not monsters, we all become something that we're not, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's kind of implied when the director, you know, tells Jerboa way early on when she, you know, refuses to have the scene end there and wants to do another take. He's like, my, we are turning into a little monster, aren't we? You know, uh, like, you know, so that's kind of the idea there is that we, we become monsters on the spotlight. So I actually really love that, that's included in this because again this is a film that's commentating on the film industry itself mm-hmm. and so i like that element of it of you know that's kind of what brings the werewolf out but yeah looking at it from from the sort of queer element of it is that you know i agree with you like it that implication is there as well because again these werewolves are who they truly are right mm-hmm. and when you look at your and donnie they're both in hiding because Jerbo is a werewolf you know they're both yeah. hiding that element from the world and by the way, I just love that, like, somehow because Donnie gets, like, a fake mustache and she dyes her <laughs> hair red, 
that they're like not recognizable by anybody, including Breckmeyer, who fucking lived in isolation with them for years and still doesn't <laughs> seem to know who the fuck they are, despite how famous they are. Well, so Breckmeyer's like, a terrible scientist. He's a fucking so. moron. But yeah. anyway, so it's so it feels very fitting that you know when when those lights come on and she transforms, like she she's revealing to herself. Or, or she's revealing to the world who she really is, mm-hmm. and it's horrifying to them. Yeah, you know, and, and that is something that happened, especially in the eighties uh, during the AIDS crisis. You know, where like if you if you were outed as a queer actor, you know, you just weren't hired. Mm-hmm. You know, like a, a lot of a lot of filmmakers and industry stopped working with and studios stopped working with you uh, because of that. You know, like it was witch burning in a sense, and it, so. So I do definitely think that that's there, you know, uh, with that whole scene and ending on that, which sucks, you know, because the film, <laughs> the film, you know, there, there's so much interesting stuff. Part of the reason I, another thing that made me think about the queer thing and, and why I thought that maybe there was uh, perhaps some commentary on uh, on the transgender community is that in the scene where Breckmeyer is teaching about werewolves, mm-hmm. I found it really interesting because we're assuming that this film takes place in the future and or, or that that ending is in the future like 20 years or whatever i find it really interesting that all of the humans are wearing like a, a specific color of orange mm-hmm. and the men and women are separated by the color that they're wearing so they all have like these uniforms and it i mean i don't know if that's like a school uniform thing but mm-hmm. but either way even if it is a school uniform the the men and women are separated mm-hmm. and so i kind of i kind of tied that into the whole queer theme with it because and, and you know because it sort of feels like they're trying to separate men from women and mm-hmm. you know again part of the theme here is like not being able to be your true self in yeah. public and so you know and being so, relegated to like these roles or right these being relegated being relegated to to uh to to what others view your gender as, you know, and mm. I I just found that really interesting. Like it, that that also feels like that's prevalent in this movie of just like, you know, that that sort of idea of within the queer community and the trans community of just having to hide who you are in a public that doesn't accept you, you know. Yeah. Uh. So again, just a really random thing that's thrown <laughs> into the end of this movie that is nothing said about it. There's no commentary on it. No, it's, it's just, just everyone's there. wearing orange. Right, it's just there, but but it's very interesting, I think, when you kind of start to, like, wonder why that is. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so we do have to start wrapping up, unfortunately, because I'm actually really enjoying talking about Halloween <laughs> 3. <laughs> uh, so, Y'all need to wo- vote for werewolves some months so that Matt can just go off. Yeah, so, so who's your killer idiot of Halloween 3? Like, that's the director for letting the three werewolves into the party. Why? They look like they're in costume. (laughs) I mean, I guess kind of, but there's a part of me of just like, you have these three women that you have no idea who they are wearing like these creepy werewolf masks who are sniffing and chomping at you. And you're like, you know what? Fuck it. Come on in. How is that your idiot when you've got fucking Breckmeyer being like, oh, Flash has turned them into werewolves. I'm going to turn this (laughs) giant man of a werewolf silo intentionally into a werewolf. And and say that oh don't worry the the cheap little leather straps will hold you down like that that's, that's my that's, that's my that's my killer idiot they don't even have anyone in there that's like armed for protection or anything he's just like gonna turn you into a giant werewolf now you know Breckway really should have died I'm safe by these leather straps though like he's like I said he's a fucking idiot yes yes he is worst scientist ever but 
Um, so no, he's mine. But uh, what about your killer death in uh, Halloween Three? Oh, for me that goes to I. I want to say he's a detective. I don't even remember what his name is. He just gets tossed out of a fucking window, and then we watch him fall for like five minutes. Yeah, I think he's a military guy. I don't know what his name is either, but he's also mine because I I right? love I love him being thrown out I, and i love just the long shot of i'm assuming it was a dummy i love the long shot of the dummy just just falling because just falling, it's a very long take and especially to the tune of a song with the lyrics falling down yeah, like, the whole <laughs> scene is just amazing yeah no more is actually really good he, he's very in the musical so he's actually really good at timing uh song lyrics and stuff with his movies i can tell <laughs> Um, so no, that was mine as well. What about your killer MVP in Halloween 3? I mean, obviously that goes to the effects team because these are like my favorite werewolves. Yeah, so well. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, they're my favorite werewolves. I mean, they certainly deserve credit because of the budget they were working with. I did say the werewolf from the fake movie that they're watching because I do think that that particular werewolf is the most memorable thing of the movie. Okay, <laughs> I love that one because it basically looks like Wiley e. Coyote, but the fucking, like, werewolf sisters and their, like, weird little... All of it's great. All of it's great. I will defend it. I'll fight I mean, anybody. <laughs> like, I'm not saying that these are the best effects ever. I'm just saying they're highly... They're definitely not. <laughs> they're highly entertaining for working on such a small budget and making something so stylized. That's the thing. It's stylized, and it's awesome. I will fucking fight. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, like I said, I, I love the werewolf in the movie that they're watching because I love its giant, like, snap, 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 snap <laughs> jaws. Like, it's just, right? it's just really fun, right? And, and that was the thing that always stuck with me, like, ever since I was a kid and first saw this movie. Like, every time I think Howling 3, I think of that werewolf, you know, so. You can put an entire neck in his mouth. So, yeah, it, so I don't know that I would directly give it to the effects team because, you know, not all the effects are great, but... I think that the I, I do think that the werewolves themselves are memorable. So. Okay, all right, I will allow Matt to change my answer. Uh, so, so, so every week on Twitter at Killer Critics. Wait, no, who's your killer MVP? I said the werewolf in the fake movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so anyway, every week on Twitter at Killer Critics, uh, we always like to put up a poll, kind of getting your thoughts and feelings on these movies and what you think of them. So between love it, it's fine, don't like it, and never seen it, where do you think the audience fell on Howling 3? And we guys probably haven't seen it. You are correct. Uh, <laughs> so so 12.1% said love it. Yes. God bless all of you. Love you. <laughs> New best friends. 24.1% uh, said it's fine. 13.8% said don't like it. And 50% said never seen it. So was not surprised <laughs> by these results at no. all. Again, Outside of the first Howling film, uh, none of these movies are really that beloved <laughs> amongst the horror community. Uh, so I just, I'm just surprised anyone's seen past like part two, you know. So, <laughs> uh, although I recommend seeing all of them, but um, so that's about what I thought of all. So we always get comments from you all as well. Uh, so these are all from Twitter. So first up is at Super Marcy. So that's Super M A R C E Y, and this is my friend Marcy who does. Uh, a bunch of podcasts. You should follow her and check her out. But she says, a weird and batshit insane film. What's not to love? Exactly. You get it. You get this movie. What is not to love about this batshit crazy film? Right. Well, and Marcy's also from Australia and <gasps> lives there currently. So, you know, I, I, I'm, Extra I'm sure. Points. So I'm sure she's able to appreciate this movie <laughs> maybe a little bit more than the average fan. But uh, next was so thank you at Super Marcy for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at Bede Germain. So that's B-E-D-E-J-E-R-M-Y-N. And this is my buddy Bede, who actually does a lot of podcasts with Marcy. So you should also follow him and check him out. They they both do a bunch of incredible stuff. But 
he says, well, it's a mixed bag overall for me personally. I do admire just how completely insane out there and quintessentially Australian in every way this film is. Also having the iconic Aussie character of Dame Edna Everidge in it for no reason is just the icing on the cake, mate. <laughs> is he also from Australia? Yes, Meat is also <laughs> from and lives in Australia. <laughs> okay, so this just, this comment makes me want to visit and learn more about Australia in general because if he's saying that this is truly Australian spirit, I love that. What well, is? I mean, again, Moro's from Australia, you mm -hmm. know, and so, and, and he really wanted to make an Australian horror film. Like he, mm -hmm. you know, when he made, I don't remember if I mentioned this in the beginning, but like when he made this film, he really wanted to make an Australian horror movie, you know, because he felt that Australia was a, you know, a country that was never really, explored much in film and, and whenever it did appear in film he thought it was great so and i agree with him you know it's it's still not explored enough like and, and, and more almost, australian horror films well in almost every aussie horror film that i see is fucking great like i love razorback like if you've got if you all have never seen razorback you should go check out razorback it's fucking awesome you know like <laughs> there's a lot of really good aussie films out there uh but they just you know i, I don't feel like they've gotten the proper attention here in the states and mm and potentially around the world. So so I do appreciate as well the fact that this film is like quintessentially Aussie. Although I will say, Bede, I wish that the film had more of the Aussie slain in it. I don't remember what you all call it. I, I want to say like Boogan or something like that. Uh, kind of basically like the equivalent of like redneck speak here in the States. Oh. <laughs> um, I, I've heard Bede and Marcy speak it and I don't understand a single thing that they're saying, but it's really fun. Uh, so I wish a little bit more of that was in this movie, but... <laughs> Especially since we're kind of like in, you know, the outback here or whatever. But, uh, but anyway, so thank you at Be Germain for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at sinful underscore redhead. So that's S I N N F U L underscore redhead. And this is my friend Sarah, who also does a podcast. Check her out and follow her. Uh, she says, It's not a great movie, but I find it entertaining. I did appreciate the fact that they tried to create their own lore with the were animal. Instead of werewolves, they had were marsupials. They took a chance and just went for it. And for that aspect alone, I enjoy the film. You get it. You understand why I love this movie so much. Like, like horror, sometimes it's about taking risks and it doesn't always work out. But this time it did because we got wear marsupials and they're amazing. No, for sure. You know, sometimes I think as a critic, uh, I myself get criticized <laughs> by, <laughs> by readers and fans because, you know, they, they might see something that, that I give a good review to. And think, well, what's, you know, why? Like, mm -hmm. it's not a great movie or whatever. And and for me, it's just the simple fact sometimes of, I just really appreciate filmmakers doing something different. Yeah. You know, like, you got to understand, like, as a critic, when when you were doing this for a living, I watch a lot of horror movies <laughs> that, frankly, do almost nothing to separate themselves from each other. You know, like, mm -hmm. I, wa I watch a lot of horror movies that just follow the same old formula and the same old tropes and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so when you see something like Colleen 3 that's different and unique and really tries and goes for something, whether or not it totally works out, like you appreciate that. And yeah. so, so that's part of my love for Howling three, just like Sarah says here. And, you know, just like Chris is saying is I just love that this film's ambitious and like really tries to, to do something that's not your typical average werewolf movie. Like it, it, it introduces a lot of ideas that were, you know, high concept and, mm -hmm. and kind of ridiculous, but really fun. Yeah, so. <laughs> I want to see more of it. And also, I want a werebear movie now. We all want a werebear movie, Chris. Yeah, <laughs> we can have werebear I can have a werebear. Uh, so anyway, thank you at sinful underscore redhead for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from, probably going to say this wrong, uh, at 
Der Cryptaxis. So that's D E R C R Y P T A X I S. So that's I guess Der Cryptaxis. I don't know. Anyway, uh, they say sorry about that, and they say it has some really cool speculative biology. Right? Okay, so I'm going to, like, this is one of the things that I love about this movie. For anybody who's listened to this podcast, I am kind of secretly a weird science nerd, especially when it comes to animal stuff. And it's my favorite fucking thing about this movie is that it considered how, you know, where animals and where people could potentially evolve to meet different environments and how they could evolve differently. And I think that's such fucking cool lore combined with the fact that it's like you have that on one side and then also um, this animal was going extinct and its spirit was really pissed off. So it possessed us. And that's why we're more marsupials. Yeah, no, for sure. It's awesome. And that actually, that it. That last part in itself actually touches on a werewolf thing that I've had going on in my head forever that I've written a script for. So like, Endangered species becoming were-animals for vengeance? Something like that, yeah. Awesome. It, there, there's just, yeah, there's so much cool stuff involved with the biology here, so mm. I completely agree. You know, this is something I would love to see more of with the werewolf yes. genre. Just kind of exploring, like, how differently they do evolve in different mm. countries and continents, so... Uh, so, no, I agree. I think it's a really cool element of it, and it, I, I really wish the Halloween franchise would get a reboot and we could do more of this stuff. So, yes. <laughs> but unfortunately it's in uh, rights hell. So I don't really know what's going on with there, but anyway, uh, thank you at Dercryptaxis for the comment. Appreciate it. And then last is a comment from at M Sawzall. So that's M S A W Z A L L. And they say, well, it's worse than howling too. And that's saying a lot. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is, but it's also super fucking entertaining. So that makes up for it. Right. <laughs> It is. Uh, you know, I mean, look, worse than Holly too. I think it's debatable. Like, <laughs> Holly, I, I really adore both. Um, mm-hmm. I think Colleen too gets an advantage in the fact that it has Christopher Lee and Sybil Danning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, <laughs> so it's instantly, you know, it's probably a little bit more appreciated than Holly three. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, Holly three is probably like a better story because Holly two doesn't really have one so <laughs> uh, i mean look they're they're both well, bad baby wins yeah i mean look they're both bad i really enjoy both though i do i think prefer howling 2 but howling 3 is very close for me because mm-hmm. i i do find this movie to be very entertaining so uh so so at m sells all hopefully after listening to this i convinced you to at least give howling 3 another <laughs> chance you know what watch it as the goofy horror comedy that it is and and let let let's see let's see if you like a little bit more after that. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, thank you at M Sozzle for the comment. Appreciate it. And then one last thing we do uh, at the end of the month here with these themes is just kind of rank everything that we talked about for the month. So this month has been Howling Three, uh, Alien Three, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three, Army of Darkness, Halloween Three. So how do you rank this month? And I just know that you're. <laughs> about to blow all of our minds with this yes so i would i would like to remind our listeners that i rank these movies by the by rewatchability and entertainment value it's it's your favorite so that's fine yep i don't give a shit about if it's critically good or not so for me coming in at number five is halloween three Okay. Um, monster, but go ahead. Yep. Yeah, Matt threatens divorce me at the end of every month so this is fine um number four is aliens three okay <laughs> 
<laughs> Number three. I, you know, I'm just I'm just happy that you appreciate Alien Three more now because uh, before talking about Alien Three, you said that movie was crap. It's because and, you, and you're ranking it above Halloween Three now. It's because you showed me the director cut, and I like the director cut better. Fair enough. I, I'm that's great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number three is Halloween Three because obviously I love this movie. Obviously. Um, two is Army of Darkness because Bruce Campbell. I mean, come on. Of course. Um, and number one is Nightmare on Elm Street Three because this is my favorite Nightmare on Elm Street movie, so it has to win. Okay. That's about what I expected from you. So. Really? Yes. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't quite expect Halloween 3 to be at the bottom. I thought it'd be it's Alien boring. 3. It's <laughs> Oh, my God. Uh, so, no, my, my ranking is Halloween 3 at the bottom. <laughs> Understandable. Uh, and then Army of Darkness, which probably... <laughs> I'm divorcing you now. <laughs> which probably surprises a lot of you. But, like, look, you know, in the in the Evil Dead franchise, Army of Darkness is my least it's favorite. It's the best. It's, it's it's a really fun movie, but I I you know it's it's just not my favorite style for those movies. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and then Alien Three because again I will mm-hmm. fucking die on the hill for this movie. I think it's a great film. Uh, the director's cut, obviously, or the obviously. assembly cut, obviously. Uh, and then Halloween Three, uh, which I think is like fucking classic. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that Chris thinks it's boring <laughs> is absurd. Uh, and then A Nightmare on Elm Street Three because it's one of the best sequels ever made. So. Yes. <laughs> And, and it and it's a pure effects show that just blows my mind. So, uh, and then lastly, uh, we also have our films releasing for this week. So, uh, pretty actually decent week here. Well, mostly decent. So, uh, first was a film called Unhuman, and this is coming to digital on the third. This is basically about a field trip of students whose bus crashes and they find themselves in the middle of a zombie apocalypse. Uh, you'll be able to find my review for this on KillerHorrorCrit.com this week. I only liked it. It has. It's from Marcus Dunstan and Patrick Melton, who uh, are the writers behind Feast and some of the Saw movies and also The Collector. Uh, so they're very talented filmmakers, and that comes through in the film. You know, it's an entertaining movie. It's got a really great energy to it. Uh, there are just some things that I really hate about it. <laughs> uh, one of them being some of the directions that the film takes uh, towards the third act. So you'll have to see it to understand what I'm talking about, but it is one of the more absurd kind of plot points that I've probably seen in a film in a long time. So, <laughs> uh, so this one ended up just being very average for me, but but it's okay. I think it's a good Sunday afternoon watch. So, uh, so there's that. And then there's a film called Dash Cam, which is coming to VOD on the third, I believe. And this is from uh, Rob Savage, who did the film Host. Uh, which was very popular, you know, screen life movie from last or from 2020. And anyway, uh, this film is basically about the most obnoxious person on the fucking planet, uh, <laughs> who I forget her name, but she's a real person who does a real show called Dan Carr uh, that is that is part of the movie, and it, you know is an ultra conservative, anti masking, just Ugh. obnoxious as hell person. Uh, that kind of spoils the movie for me uh, where it's basically like she goes to uh, meet up with her friend and steals his car and ends up picking up this woman for money and just it ends up becoming like this wild adventure of horror so I can't really say a lot about it without because I don't want to spoil anything for you but you know it's a good film like it's got a lot of great scares to it it has a really good energy uh it's pretty much just non-stop adrenaline rush you know so so if you liked hosts I, I i really think you'll like dash cam just be prepared to absolutely despise <laughs> the main character and just wish for her death every other minute or so <laughs> 
Uh, she really grated on my nerves oh. in this movie. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so yeah, the Ash came on VOD six on the third, and then lastly is the one that I'm most excited for you all to see, which is Watcher, uh, which comes to VOD on the third, and this is a film from Chloe Okuno who uh, did the Ratma segment uh, in VHS ninety four. And this is basically a film that stars uh, Michael Monroe as a woman in another country who believes that she is being uh, watched by a man across the street. And then these murders of women start popping up. And essentially, she's not believed by the police or her husband or any of the men in her life. Of course. And Right. And it's that kind of thing. So... So it's not necessarily like a unique story. Like we've seen this story on screen many times. Uh, the way that Okuno directs is just phenomenal. I mean, like she she puts you so much in the shoes of this character that there were multiple times where I felt like I wanted to turn around because I felt like someone was right behind me. You know, like, it, like she really gets under your skin. She does a great job uh, with building the suspense of the film. So it's it's one of those movies where like the plots pretty much you know basic average whatever mm -hmm. uh but her direction just elevates it to a whole other level uh so so watcher i loved it i caught it at a festival not long ago it was my favorite movie from the festival um so definitely check that out if you can so it, it's a good week it's a good week it's a good yeah. week for horror movies and that and that's just a few of what's coming out so anyway uh that's gonna do it for us on halloween 3 so hope you all enjoyed that hopefully we convince you to maybe give the film another shot if you didn't like it before or just check it out if you've never seen it which apparently is a lot of use. <laughs> uh, so that's going to do it for us on that. Uh, we have not yet selected our theme for next month. There's currently a poll running on Twitter so far to this. Is, Chris is just learning about this now so far to uh, Chris's uh, potential disappointment or, or angst is go so far. Body horror. Is oh, winning. No. <laughs> so, so <laughs> So far, so far, body horror is winning the poll by a mile. So that will most likely be our June topic. And Chris hates body horror, so that should be fun. Um, this next and, month's gonna be so unpleasant. And I and I can pretty much guarantee you that if body horror wins, we'll be talking about the film society. No. <laughs> uh, but so that's you know. So keep an eye out for that. Um, otherwise, that's gonna do it for us on the Howling and Horror Threequel. So I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And have a great night, horror fans. Bye. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more. Please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans. <laughs>